last-minute advice is usually brief, authoritative, and to the point. How can I live as an authentic Christian? Assuming his audience is actually born again with the Spirit of God living in them, the Apostle Paul gives some excellent last-minute advice in his letter to the Greek Christians who live in the city of Thessaloniki. He is specifically addressing their personal relationship with God and how to maintain a rich, authentic Christian life. This advice addresses what is so often wrong about our Christian witness, namely unchristian attitudes, speech, and behaviors. Paul tells believers everywhere, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Well, we all know that the Apostle Paul was called by God in a very unique way. The, the original 12 were called by Jesus in person, but the Apostle Paul was actually on the road to Damascus to attack Christians, if you can believe it. And it was as he was on that road that Jesus appeared to him and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? In fact, uh, he was called Saul at that time. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, what happens next is that Paul is gloriously transformed. He is converted. He's born again. And he is given a mandate by Jesus to go and proclaim the gospel. And he understands that he has a very special calling Whereas the other apostles concentrated on the Jewish population, the apostle Paul knew that he was to go to the Gentiles, that is, to the rest of the world, to everybody who is not Jewish. That was his job to go and proclaim the gospel. Well, he, he's traveling everywhere in the known world at that time, and he travels to Thessaloniki, to Amphipolis, to Philippi, and then he travels down to to Athens. When he gets to Athens, he notices that there are all kinds of idols everywhere, false idols, false gods. In fact, there's even one that is, uh, it's, a, it's an idol to the unknown God. And the Apostle Paul comments on that. Like, how weird is that? You have a God you're worshiping and you don't even know his name? That's literally what it is. So he goes to a place called uh, the Areopagus, or sometimes called Mars Hill. And it's, a, it's just a, a, a marble uh, platform, like a small hill that's right beside the Acropolis. Glory and I have been there many times. And he went there to debate and to discuss Christianity with the, with the so-called professional thinkers of the day. These were the philosophers. They wanted to know more about Jesus. They want to know more about Christianity. So, Apostle Paul, tell us more about, about this Jesus, about your God. Well, um, here he is proclaiming the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says these words. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life 
and breath and everything. Paul's statement here would have come as a surprise to the Greek ears. What Paul is saying is in your religious tradition, you are accustomed to bribing God. No, he didn't say bribe, but in, if you want to just call it like it is, that's exactly what Paul is saying. This God that I'm talking about, you can't buy him. You can't buy his favor. You can't bribe him to get him to do what you want him to do. No, the God that, that I'm talking about, says Paul, is a God not like any of your gods. In fact, there's nothing that you can give him that he needs. There's nothing that you have that would be of any value to him except what? Thanksgiving. This is a brand new idea to the Greeks. In his book, Peter Leithart, in his book, Gratitude and Intellectual History, he reveals how in the ancient mind, gratitude was really like a circle. If you gave a gift, then, you, then the person who received the gift had an obligation to return the gift. So we got this cycle going. I give, and then I receive from you, and, and then you give, and then I give, and, and around and around it goes. Well, the Apostle Paul comes along and says, yeah, you know, that, that way that, that you guys give and the way that you function, when it comes to God, it doesn't work like that. You can't buy his favor. And when you do give something to God, he doesn't owe you anything. Now, this is all a brand new way of thinking. This, this, this system of, of bribery, of giving and receiving and getting, is very much like our political system now. Sometimes we call it lobbying. You get lobbyists who pay big, big dollars to influence politicians so that politicians will put forth legislation in their favor. But you can't influence God like that. This is a brand new idea. You can't influence God. There's nothing that you can give him to make him do what you want him to do. So by introducing this brand new idea of gratitude to, to a giver, and I, I put giver in, in, with a capital G because we understand that the giver is in fact God himself. This idea of gratitude to a giver who is so generous that no one can ever repay him, he says this, this, this aspect, this teaching of Christianity literally altered this cycle of give and then get, the give and then get. The idea of Christ and his, and his teachings on gratitude really did change the world forever because now we understand that our God is not like other gods or as we read in other places in scripture, he's not like a man. Aren't you glad today that God is not like a man? You can't buy off God. There's no amount of money that you can give God to get what you want. What we are left with, my friends, is a glorious image of a gracious God, a God who loves us, a God who pours out his grace on people who are undeserving. Does this blow your mind? Why is God good to me? Because I'm a good person? Uh-uh. Why is God good to you? Because you're a good person? Uh-uh. No, it's because of a love that is supernatural, a love that is not of this world. 
It's a love that knows no bounds. And all who put their faith in Christ are now the objects of his love. Now, remember last week what I said. I said that until you become a Christian, until you put your faith in Christ, you are objects of God's wrath, his anger. And as it says in Hebrews, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God, the God of the universe. But when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are no longer under his wrath, but now you're under Jesus Christ and his protection against God's wrath. You say, well, why is wrath important? I'll tell you, because God is a just And God pours out his wrath on an evil world. And the fact of the matter is, God has proclaimed that all of us are evil, that none of us is deserving, that none of us has measured up to his standard. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's not one that seeks after God. No. Those of us who have put our faith in Christ we are now under the propitiatory covering of Jesus Christ. And under that covering is the love of God. And all who put their faith in Jesus have that love. Now look at if you are still under the wrath of God, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you are still under God's wrath, then you now are objects of punishment. And the Bible teaches us that you have an eternity in hell. But if you put your faith in Christ and you have his righteousness, then you have an eternity with God in heaven. Does this make sense? This is basic Christianity that has been taught for 2,000 years. So here's Paul. He, he's teaching this to these Greeks. And some believed, but many didn't. In fact, the Apostle Paul seemed to have greater success in the north of Greece. Now, some of you will know that I went to Greece. I lived there for a year. And then in 1989, I came home to Winnipeg. I married my sweetheart, Gloria Hausen. And uh, together, we went back to the city of Thessaloniki. And that's where Jesse was born. And that's why we call him First Thessalonian. And there is no second Thessalonian, and there never will be. <laughs> so here's what you need to know. The Apostle Paul, while he was in Thessaloniki, before he came to, to Athens, he preached the gospel there. He preached the message of Jesus Christ, and some believed. And what happened is that a church was established. And the Apostle Paul, in order to help these churches grow, he sends them letters and that's what we call 1st Thessalonians, because that, that's the first letter. And 2nd Thessalonians, that's the second letter. And you find that in your New Testament written by the Apostle Paul. Here's the words that the Apostle Paul ends the first letter with. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We want to unpack these verses this morning. Uh, very short verses. Verse 18 is only two words. Verse 17, only three words. We want to unpack these verses so that you can understand how Christians ought to live. This is what this is all about. We're talking about thanksgiving and how this is actually the lifestyle of the believer. Now, 
We've been talking about the theology of thanksgiving in Paul's letters. It's a relatively undeveloped discipline in theology, and I'm so glad to see more and more books written on this subject because thanksgiving really is the mark of a life that's been touched by God. Now, Paul would insist to you that thanksgiving has got to be part of your prayer life. We read in 1 Timothy 2.1, again, a letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. He says, I urge that supplications, that is prayers for things that you need, and prayers of intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. In fact, it's plural. It says thanksgivings. What's he saying? He's saying that part of your prayer life has got to include thanksgiving. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry. But in everything, by what? By prayer and supplication. With what? With thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. So what's Paul saying here? Let's just look at me for a moment. What's Paul talking about here? He's talking about a relationship that we have with God. How many know today that God wants us to know him? He wants us to have a relationship with him. And we have this relationship with him through his son, Jesus. That, my friends, is why Jesus came to this earth. In fact, it says in John that Jesus came full of what? Grace and truth. Why? To reconcile us to God. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? Adam and Eve walked with God. They were in close relationship with God. But because of Adam and Eve's disobedience, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the presence of God. We call the presence of God the Garden of Eden. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that although humanity started in the Garden of Eden and were kicked out, the good news is that by the time we get to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, all who put their faith in Jesus are welcomed back into the Garden of Eden, into the presence of God. Is that an amen thing? That's a, that's a praise the Lord thing, isn't it? We're, we're welcomed back into the presence of God. So, the Apostle Paul wants us to understand that God's plan for us is to have a relationship with Almighty God. Listen, it's not a coincidence that God reveals himself as Father. That's what Jesus taught us to pray, didn't he? He, said, he taught us to pray, our Father in heaven. Jesus wants us to know that that's the relationship that God wants to have with us. Now, some people are under this very, very false impression that all people are God's people, that all all people are God's children. That's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that when you and I were born, we were born, what? Enemies of God. That we are under, we are objects of his wrath. The only way that you can be a true child of God, the only way that you can be adopted into his family is by putting your faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Critical. You must understand this. And we said that this is the basis of all thanksgiving. This is the basis of all praise. When you came to church this morning to worship, you came to worship God because what? He sent his son for us to die for us, and to give us eternal life. Now, look at this. We're called to have relationship with God. How do we have a relationship with God, you wonder? Some people say, Pastor Alan, does God speak in an audible voice to you? 
I have never heard an audible voice from God, but here's what I have. I have God speaking to me through his word. That's what the Bible is. The Bible, and you remember, we talked about that for four weeks on our series called Truth. We said this is the revelation of God. If you want to know the mind of God, if you want to know who Jesus is, then you just pick up your Bible and read it. And I would recommend that if you've never read the Bible before, start in the book of Matthew and go through the Gospels. It reveals Jesus. So how does God speak to us? He speaks to us through his word. How do I speak to God? Through prayer. And Paul is saying that when you pray, you got to include thanksgiving. Now, we all know that the only way that any of us can have a relationship with another human being is if there's two-way communication. And this is why we read in the scripture clear instruction that we are to read the word of God, we're to hide it in our hearts, to memorize it, and we are to pray. These are the two first and most important things that you are going to do as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's the only way that you can be in relationship to God. Now listen, relationships fall apart. They break down when communication sees. You, when you, when, if you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to have a relationship with anyone, what do you have to do? You have to have what's called two-way communication. And if one person in the relationship stops communicating, then the relationship is non-existent. And so we, we have a relationship with God by praying and by reading the scripture. So here's what you need to know. As Christians who have a relationship with God, we are a people who rejoice always. We're a people who pray without ceasing. We are a people who give thanks in most circumstances, in good circumstances, no, in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is God's will. So let's unpack this for a moment, shall we? That word rejoice, kerete, comes from the Greek verb hero, which means to be cheerful. It means that, and I like the way that the that lexicon puts this, it's a calm, it's a calm happiness. It's not this jumping up and down crazy kind of thing. It's just a calm happiness. What it is, it's a disposition. So that when anybody looks at you, they can see that, hey, this is a cheerful person. This is a joyful person. You're not, you're not, trying, to, you're not trying to make a, a display of yourself. You're not showing off. You're just naturally a calm, joyful, cheerful person. That's who you are. And I want you to understand something. This, this rejoice is in the active voice. It's something that you continue to do. You are rejoicing. The best way that I can describe this for you, this rejoicing, is that it is an active form of thanksgiving. What do I mean by that? Well, if I tell you you need to be thankful or you need to offer thanksgiving, you're going to use what? You're going to use your mouth, and you're going to tell God the things that you're thankful for. But this rejoicing is a little different. It's not so much about the words as much as it is about your disposition, how you carry yourself. Has anybody ever been around a moody person, a person who's in a bad mood? Well, that would be the exact opposite to what Paul's talking about here. 
So you're, have you ever been around somebody you feel you've got to walk on eggshells? You're afraid of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing? Well, you never have to worry about that around a person who is joyful. If you have the NLT Bible, it'll tell you always be joyful. It means the same thing. Do you get the picture here? It's an act of thanksgiving. It's an active rejoicing. That's, that's what we are. So if anybody looks at Alan Duncalf, I hope they say, well, there's something different about him. And they're not just talking about my clothes. They're talking about my attitude. They're talking about the way I interact with people. They're talking about the, my, the smile on my face. Why is it that so many Christians so often look like they've been baptized in, in vinegar? <laughs> they got a scowl on their face. They're not very happy. They're not very joyful. They're, they're, they're busy correcting people or judging people. I'm going to tell you, if you're, if you're truly born again, if you're a true Christian, the last thing you're going to do is go around judging people. Would you say amen to that? No judgment from God's people. Why? Because not even Jesus came to judge. That's what he said. He said, I did not come to judge or to condemn. That was not his purpose. Jesus' purpose was come to give and bring eternal life. So you and I go to people who, we have to be a people who've got a calm cheerfulness about us. And that, my friends, is a form of thanksgiving. And then Paul goes on. Well, you know, let me just, let me just clarify that a bit better. Has anybody ever seen or heard of The Simpsons? There's a few people that will admit that. Does anybody remember Ned Flanders? Anybody? When I said Ned Flanders in the first service, everybody burst out laughing. So let me just explain. Homer is a jerk. Ned Flanders is his neighbor who is a Christian. And he is joyful all the time. He's happy. He's always kind, never has a negative word, and he feels guilty if he's ever negative. Well, that is the the joke because Ned Flanders is actually the good guy even though he comes across as the nerd. Listen to me, my friends. Those of us who follow Christ, those of us who are living this joyful life, we stick out like a sore thumb. And people, at the end of the day, they, they, they may mock us, but at the end of the day, they say, you know what? If there's anybody in this world that I trust, it's going to be my Christian friend. And that's really who we are. We're living our lives in a way that it causes people around us to glorify our Father in heaven. Isn't that what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Live your lives before men that it causes people to glorify your Father in heaven. That's what we're talking about, living a rejoicing life. And then Paul says that you need to pray. And what, is, what do we pray? You know what? This is something I don't understand. I've been in ministry for almost 40 years, and I have heard so many sermons on prayer. I've, I've read books on prayer, and precious few focus on the Lord's Prayer. And I find that very strange. Pastor Alan, why do you find it strange? Because when the apostles came to Jesus and said, Jesus, do you know that John the Baptist is teaching his disciples how to pray? Would you teach us how to pray? That's really what rabbis did. There's all kinds of rabbis in Israel. They travel around with their group of disciples, and the rabbis would teach their disciples Uh, about the faith. Well, Jesus was exactly the same. He was a rabbi, and he had his disciples, and his disciples said, Rabbi, teach us how to pray. We want to pray. So Jesus said this. Watch this. He said, whenever you pray, whenever you pray, pray like this. And then he gave them 
what we call the Lord's Prayer. Do you know the Lord's Prayer is the agenda? It's your prayer agenda. You know when you go to a meeting, you have an agenda that leads you through the meeting, and you have a beginning and an end to the meeting. Look, at this is the way it is with prayer. When you go into prayer, you are actually going into a meeting with the king of the universe. You're going into his throne room. And this is the prayer agenda. And the prayer agenda, you begin with praise to God, our Father in heaven. And then you pray, hallowed be thy name. We're saying, God, be, be, uh, make, your, make your name holy among your people. And then you're praying, God, let your kingdom come. Let your lordship come to this world. This is what I pray for you, for this church. I pray for you all the time. I pray that God's, God's lordship, his kingship, would rule over you so that you would submit to the king of kings. And we're praying it for Burundi. We pray it for Canada. We pray it for the north. And then we pray what? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are we praying? We're praying that God's will be done. I pray for my, all my children. I pray for them one by one. I pray for my wife. I pray for my elders. I pray for my staff. I pray for people in our church. They'll say, Pastor Allen, can you pray for me? They're, they're right there. I bring them to the throne of God. That's, that's the meeting with the king of kings. I'm bringing you to God in this meeting called prayer. And then after that, I pray, God, give us this day our daily bread. Make, and that's all about our provision. God, meet the needs of our church. Meet, meet the needs of Alan Duncalf and our family. And then I pray, what do I pray? I pray, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me or, or us. Yes, that's right. We confess our sins. Hey, what, isn't it a wonderful thought that even though we still sin, God still forgives and why is that? Why does God forgive? Because we, we put our faith in Jesus Christ. He's our covering. And then I pray, God, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. What am I saying? God, help me to get through these times of testing. Hey, in case you don't know it yet, the Christian life is a series of tests until you die. Did you know that? It's a test, and you pass the test, and then you, you go to the next level in your Christian life. And then you get tested again, and then you go to the next level, and so on and so forth until you die. God, help me to get through the test. Lead me through the times of testing and protect me from Satan. Well, that's prayer. Now, here's the thing, folks. Listen to this. Watch this. You and I can go to God in prayer with confidence and boldness. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, the high, this high priest of ours, who is Jesus Christ, he understands our weakness, for he faced all of the same testings that we do. Did you hear that? Jesus faced the same testings that you and I face, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Now, I, I need to back up here for a moment because I need to remind you that when you say, Our Father in heaven, that is the first petition. What you're doing is you're saying, Father, I'm coming to your throne. I'm coming to heaven. Every Jewish person understood that heaven represented God's throne room. Every Jew that heard Jesus say this would understand we're talking about the throne room of God, the very presence of God. When you come to the presence of God, what do you do? Well, of course, you begin with worship and thanksgiving. 
You give him praise. You don't dare come like a little bratty child who's coming to, to the Santa Claus at the mall with this great big long list of things, and I want this and I want that, and make sure that you provide this for me and make sure. No, that's not what we do. We come as grateful children to our loving Father with our prayer requests and with our petitions and needs. But first, we say, thank you, God, for helping me thus far. Do you live like that? That's how your prayers need to begin. And this is what the Apostle Paul is telling us over and over again. And then finally, it says, give thanks in all circumstance. Now, again, give thanks is in the pre- present active voice. This is something that you are doing. In Greek, it's, it says, be thanking. Be thanking continuously. So all through the course of the day, you're saying, God, thank you. Do you know, Gloria and I, every time we talk, every single time we talk, and this happens more and more as we're getting older, we'll talk about how good God is to us. We'll, we'll, we'll be rejoicing and giving thanks to God. This is literally every day is Thanksgiving Day at the Duncalf House. This is how we live, giving thanks. It's, day, it's daily. It's moment by moment. It's, it's constant, a constant offering of praise. Now, I want you to see something next. I want you to see how, how often this needs to happen. So Paul says, make sure you're rejoicing always, not just on Sundays, not just at the beginning of the day, not just when you, when you just barely escaped that car accident, but you need to be rejoicing all through the day. This is who we are. What are we talking about? We're talking about our demeanor, how we come across, joyful, happy. This is why on Zoom prayer meeting, you'll notice that I'm smiling all the time. I don't know if anybody has noticed that, but I'm, tr- I'm, I'm consciously trying to smile because I want you to see Jesus in me. You say, does it matter, Pastor Alan? You better believe it matters. Because people are looking at you. And if you're walking around with a frown on your face all the time, they'll wonder what on earth's going on in your heart or in your head. I had an aunt that I loved so dearly. And I don't know if she did this consciously or if it just happened to be the way she was born, but she always had a smile on her face. And, and I realized one day, as I got older, that's why I loved her the most, because she was the happiest aunt I had, always with a smile on her face. Well, this is who we are as Christians. People need to see in our countenance the joy of the Lord. So it's got to be always. It's not once in a while, but it's always. We pray how? Without ceasing. Now, can I remind you of something? Jesus said, it's a good thing that I'm going away. Remember, he was with his disciples. He said, I'm, I'm returning to the Father. I'm not going to be staying here. He ascended to the Father. And he said, it's a good thing that I do this. And the disciples are scratching their head. How on earth could this be a good thing? I mean, Jesus, you've been healing the sick. and You've been raising the dead. You've been feeding the multitudes. You've been doing these miracles. How could it be a good thing for you to go away? And here's what Jesus said. It's a good thing that I go away. Because when I go away, I'm going to send to you the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who is going to dwell within you. Now watch this. The name for the Holy Spirit is paraclete. In the Greek, paraclete means the one who's alongside me. So wherever I go, God is with me. And that's what Paul is saying here. You're praying without ceasing because God's there right with you. How rude is it 
to be with somebody and never talk to them. That's happened to me. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a very strange and bizarre situation to find yourself in. Spending half an hour or 10 minutes or 50 minutes with somebody who never says a word. It's kind of like, like, what is going on here? And that's how so many of us treat God. But he's your, he's your, he's your alongside one. He's with you wherever you go. And when you think you're alone, you're not. Because God's there with you. Talk to him. Tell him what's on your heart. And rejoice and thank him. Have this ongoing conversation so that everybody looks at you and thinks he's either nuts or he's on some kind of a blue phone, Bluetooth phone. I don't know what, but look at him. He's talking to himself. But they don't know is you're talking to Jesus who's promised never to leave you and never to forsake you. This is, this is why we pray without ceasing. And this is why we give thanks in all circumstances. Hey, can I just remind you of something? Sometimes your circumstances are not what you want. It's, in fact, they're not what you like. In fact, if anything, you wish that they would be gone. But the wonderful thing is this, my friends, that God, God works all things together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purposes. That means even the difficulties, even the struggles, even the, even the times of temptation, even the things that you hate, even the things you're saying, God, take this away from me. God, Jesus, Jesus would tell us it's a good thing that we go through that. Why? Because these are the things that shape us and mold us into the image of Jesus. And so for this, we give thanks in all circumstances, not because of the circumstances, but in the circumstances, because we know that God is making us like Jesus. Wow. So we read, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Folks, understand that when you rejoice, when you pray, when you're giving thanks, what you're doing is you are actively living in God's presence. Did you get that? For so many people, church, Christianity is about going to church on Sunday, and that's the only time I talk to God all week. That's the only time I meet with God all week. Look, this is not God's will for you. God wants you to live with him and to interact with him every day. This is the difference between a religion and a relationship with God. A relationship with God means that you are dwelling in his presence, constantly rejoicing, constantly praying, constantly giving him thanks. For many of us here today, our Christianity is just a religion. But some of us understand that we have a relationship with God, and we're called to interact with him moment by moment, day by day. And part of that includes this act of thanksgiving. Now, why, my, why are we giving God thanks? Well, because, as I talked to you last week, because he saved us from the wrath of God. This, look what it says here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Can I just remind everybody of something today? Being godly and being righteous are oftentimes two very different things. They're not the same thing. I used to think it was the same thing. I, I, used, to, I used to believe that, 
to be godly, to be righteous meant the same thing. No, listen, watch this. The Pharisees were the most righteous men in Israel because they, they didn't break any of the laws of God. They were perfect in their fulfillments of the righteous requirements of the law. And yet Jesus called them a brood of snakes and vipers. Why would Jesus call these people who are keeping the law of God perfectly, why would he call them snakes? I'll tell you why. Because they had no relationship with God. They didn't know God. They knew the laws of God, but they didn't know God. They didn't have that relationship with him. In fact, not only did they not have a relationship with God, but they suppressed the truth of God. Can I remind everybody today that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They tried to stamp out Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, every unrighteous person and every ungodly person tries to stamp out Jesus. When you hear someone say, I hate Jesus, you know that they are acting on the impulse of their father, Satan. Did you get that? Jesus is the son of God. And God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We know that there's a reason why Christianity is under attack. No other world religion is under attack the way Christianity is. Why would anybody want to attack Christianity? When we're a people that, that rejoice and pray and are full of gratitude and thanksgiving, why would they attack us? I'll tell you why. Because they are children of their father, Satan, who hates the truth and wants to destroy the truth. And that's why we are being persecuted as we are right now around the world. My friends, you and I are called to be a people who magnify the Lord. We are to be a people who have a godliness that comes from heaven. And godliness, true godliness, means that you and I are in a right relationship with God the Father by putting our faith in Jesus. That's what godliness is, is that we have been made right with God. This is what we're rejoicing about. This is what we're grateful for. So here's the thing. The Bible is very clear. Jesus said in John chapter 3, when speaking to Nicodemus, the great teacher of Israel, Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. I know that because I put my faith in Jesus, I know that when I die, I will go to heaven. And I have the assurance from his word. God reveals his will through his word. I ask you today, do you have that assurance? Do you know that when you die, you're going to heaven? Do you know that when you die, you're going to be spending an eternity in the presence of the King of Kings, that you are going to be spending your eternity in the blessed Garden of Eden, God's headquarters? Do you know that that's where you're going? Well, you can know that today. All you have to do is say, God, I recognize that Jesus Christ is your son. I recognize that through Christ, I have the gift of eternal life. Today, oh God, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. I want to have that precious gift, that gift of eternal life.
Folks, what happens when you and I pray? The very first thing that happens is that you are reminded daily that Jesus died for you. And knowing that Jesus died for you is a reminder that you will not die for eternity, that you will have life for eternity. It's a game changer. It changes your attitude. It changes your outlook. No longer do you live for the things of this world. How many of us grew up listening to the, to the, to the chatter of our culture that tells us that what we really need is you need to have a great, you need to have degrees, you need to have a great job, you need to have lots of money, you need to have prestige, you have to have honor, you've you got to have power and so that you can do all the things that you want to do. And Jesus comes along and says the things of this world are temporal, they're going to pass away. You'll die and it's over and that's it. What you really need is a godliness that comes from heaven. You need to be in relationship with Almighty God. And it happens through Jesus Christ. Do you understand today why we must preach Christ and why we must preach the cross? You say, Pastor Allen, what is the purpose of the cross? I'll tell you, the cross was the instrument which God used to punish our sin in Jesus Christ. Did you get that? All of us deserve death. All of us deserve eternal death. All of us deserve hell. But through Christ, who took upon himself our sin, we have eternal life. And that judgment of God in the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve even sinned. Remember, God said, in the day that you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's the day you will die. That's the day you come under the wrath of God. And so we lived as objects of God's wrath until Jesus came, until Jesus died and paid the price, paid the penalty for our sin. And now all who put their faith in Jesus have the hope of eternal life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's ours through Christ. We have good reason to rejoice. Wouldn't you agree with me on that? We have great reason to give him thanks because it is the will of God. Folks, let me just say this. When people look at Alan Duncalf, I want them to see Jesus in my life. I don't know if they always do. I'm, I'm frail like every person in this room, and there's times I'm sure I don't. But here's what I do know, is that when I go to Jesus in prayer and I confess my sin, I know he's faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. And what Jesus is doing for me, he's doing for you. And so when you go to God in prayer with thanksgiving, I'm going to tell you, that thanksgiving is like pumping steroids into your muscles. It's like, it's, 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 it's like the heart that stops and the doctor puts adrenaline into the heart to start it up again. When you go to God with thanksgiving in your heart, it's like a shot of adrenaline. It's in your faith and you come back to life because suddenly you remember God is active and working in my life. I'm not living alone. I'm not living on my own. I have the power of God at work in my life. Hallelujah. And I go on giving thanks to God and I find my, my faith muscles strengthened and I believe God for his goodness. And that's why that old hymn teaches us to sing. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you. 
what the Lord has done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. So amid a conflict, whether great or small, don't be discouraged. God's overall. Count your many blessings. Angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Someone say hallelujah. This is our great hope. The great God who is in your corner. God is not against you. He's for you. He loves you. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. If you put your faith in Jesus, God is on your side. You know, when I, I'm going to close with this. When I was in Bible school, I was prepping for an exam. You've, some of you have heard me tell this story before. I was prepping for an exam, getting ready. And we thought, I'll go to McDonald's. I'll have a good, healthy breakfast. Now, you've been to McDonald's too, have you? <laughs> and I walked in, and there's a lady. In those days, they, they still had women walking around with a coffee pot, filling people's cups of coffee. And uh, I, I, was, I hadn't even sat down yet. And she, you know what she said to me? She said, what on earth are you smiling about at this time of the morning? I'm a Bible college student, folks. I'm preparing for the ministry. And if, if ever there was a golden question, that was the right one for me. Why am I smiling at 7 o'clock in the morning? I said, let me get my breakfast, and then come to my table, and I'll tell you all about it. And I thought, well, I doubt she'll do that. She's got work to do. But you know what? I got my breakfast. I sat down, and the first thing she did is she walked over to me. She said, okay, I'm here. Tell me, why are you smiling at 7 o'clock in the morning? And I told her about my Jesus. I told her that Jesus Christ had died for my sins. I told her that when I die, I know I'm going to heaven. And she sat there and she began to cry. She said, I've been praying and asking God to reveal himself to me. And here you are this morning telling me that God loves me. She said, what do I do next? I said, that's a good question. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And together, right there, at about 7.30 in the morning, we prayed together and she gave her life to Christ. Folks, that's the power of Jesus Christ at work in the life of the Christian. And I'm telling you, we have every reason to rejoice because Jesus Christ has died for us, because we have the hope of eternal life. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you this morning for the hope of eternal life. Thank you, O oh God, that you began a good work in us the day that we were converted, and you're continuing that work in us. You are changing us. You're transforming us. You're making us into the very image of Christ. We pray, Lord, continue to have your way in us. And God, if there are any here today who have not yet put their faith in you, there are any here today, Lord, that want the hope of eternal life. If there's any here today that say, I want to be like the one that Pastor Allen's talking about, the one who's rejoicing always and praying continuously and giving thanks in all circles. I want that. God, let that person today say, Jesus Christ, I surrender my life to you. Jesus Christ, I want you to be my Lord and my King. Do that work, we pray. And for the rest of us, help us to go from here rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks continuously.
because that is how Christians live in the presence of God. We pray that for Christ's sake. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Amen. Tell the person beside you, go be thankful.